Let us pray. O God of the morning and the evening, let your Holy Spirit come upon us, gathered here out of love for you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are in this sermon series called Cross-Reference, where we're taking a Hebrew scripture and pairing it with a New Testament scripture so that we who call and take the name Christian can better understand this beautifully woven dance between the ancient First Testament and the New Testament. And I'm personally enjoying it a lot. I'm learning a lot, I will just tell you. So it's interesting to me that today we hear this passage from the Genesis scripture about God inviting Abram out into the night to look up at the stars. And the reason it's interesting to me that we're hearing this scripture today is that you probably know that the Persid meteor shower is happening right now. So the Persid meteor shower was first recorded in the Common Era, year 36. And it occurs generally between July 17th and August 24th. Now, the Persids are these prolific meteors that shower the night sky. And it's um, particles that move through the tail of the comet Swift-Tuttle. The meteors are called the Persids because the point from which they appear to hail, called the Radiant, lies in the constellation Perseus. The name is derived from the sons of Perseus in Greek mythology. Perseus, you will of course remember from your English classes, uh, was the son of Zeus and the mortal Danae. Now, as you might guess, the Christians had something to say about this too. They had a name for what was happening. There were some Catholics who generally practiced the honoring the saints on their day of martyrdom. Some Catholics refer to the persons as the tears of St. Lawrence, as they appear once a year on August the 10th, which is, of course, the, the martyrdom date for St. Lawrence. Now, St. Lawrence was one of seven deacons in the city of Rome under Pope Sixtus II and was responsible for the distribution of goods to the poor and was highly revered. And so St. Lawrence was martyred in the persecution of the Christians that the Roman Emperor Valerian ordered in 258 of the Common Era and is said to have been burned alive. Thus, the tears. So you see, our stargazing has a long history dating back to 
36 of the Common Era, and even further back to the story of Abram in Genesis. Now, the story of Abram's encounter with God is, I believe, this story is perhaps one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture. It's a simply beautiful passage. And if you read on either side of it, you'll find so much more. But it's just beautiful to imagine God calling Abram forth into the night and inviting him to look up at the stars. The book of Genesis, the word Genesis referring to beginnings, is truly a book about beginnings. And after the stories of creation, the story of Adam and Eve and their children Cain and Abel, after the story of the great flood and Noah and his descendants, we hear the story of Abram and Sarai. God calls Abram to leave his home and go to a new land that God will show to them. And with what seems like not a thought, they pick up and go. They say, yes, we'll go. And so they go to a land that is eventually referred to as Canaan. What we discover in this story is that Abram speaks with God on a deeply personal, um, relational level. I mean, it's not, we don't hear this quite as much the further into the First Testament and then into the New Testament. We don't hear quite this intimacy that we hear with Abram and God. And even so, Abram and Sarai have a great deep personal grief. Even with this relationship with God, they have this deep personal grief because they have been unable to have children. Sarai is barren. And for ancient people, children were the promise of eternity. It was through children that those who were their parents entered eternity. That children carried the lives of their parents within them. And so Abram and Sarai have no eternity in their minds and understanding. And so we have this wonderful story of Abram having a conversation with God in which Abram confronts God and says, you know, I don't have an heir. You said I would be blessed if I came and did went where you wanted me to go, and we did it, and I don't have an heir. Someone who's not even a part of my life is going to be the heir of my household. Abram gets in God's face about an unfulfilled promise of blessing. And God responds by inviting out Abram out into the evening to look up at the stars and to count them if you can. And you know how counting stars go. You know, you start counting, and then your eyes get wonky, and you can't remember what you've counted and what you haven't. That's how counting stars go. And Abram, God reminds Abram that God will make of him a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars. What a beautiful, beautiful story. And the story says that Abram believed God. And we take that word believed in Hebrew, and it also has a deeper meaning of trust. So God, Abram trusted God, believed, understood, trusted. 
And God counted it to Abram as righteousness or rightness. That Abram is living in a right way. The story continues with many, many twists and turns. I mean, it's better than days of our lives. And, and when Abram is finally 99 years old, God again promises Abram an heir and gives Abram a new name, Abraham, which means that he will be the father of many nations. And his heir, interestingly enough, is named Isaac. And the story, and our story, the story through the eyes of these ancient people and their understanding, the beginning of civilization is told. And at the center of the story is this deep, personal, intimate relationship with God and God's people. The story of a God who keeps promises, even if it feels like God is not going to. That God keeps promises even if you have to wait for year upon year upon year. And then Paul takes this story and pulls it in to his witness. And why wouldn't he? He's a Pharisee of the highest order. He has studied. These are his holy scriptures. And so he pulls this story into his letter to the church at Galatia. And what's happening in Galatia and throughout his Christian ministry, Paul was dogged by Jewish opponents who sought to undermine his message. Other people did too, but we get the story that there were Jews who opposed his message. Some of these challengers were Jews who rejected the messianic claim of Jesus. And so they sought to halt the growth of this cult or this group through persecution, but so did the Romans try to halt it through persecution, as we heard about St. Lawrence. There were other Jews who opposed Paul and were offended not so much that Paul preached Christ, but that he did not require the Gentiles to follow Jewish practices, such as circumcision, observance of the Sabbath, and avoidance of non-kosher foods. This, so there's these conflicts going on in Galatia, and there's all these missionaries coming into Galatia and preaching their own things. And so Paul is writing to the church there to try to keep them connected. And remember, when Jesus, and, and what we need to remember is that when Jesus opposed Jewish leadership, he was concerned not so much with debating Pharisees about right things and wrong things, but with their unchanged hearts. That's what was his primary concern. Jesus um, knew that when religious people are unchanged by God's mercy, they often become harsh and judgmental and adhering to the letter of the law and code of moral and ethical standards rather than the heart of the law. And Jesus also knew that oftentimes, if that was the mind of the religious leadership, that religious rights and duties become a substitute for an authentic and personal relationship with God. And you know what? Still happening today, right? 
people substitute rules and laws and judgment for an intimate relationship with God that we see in the relationship between Abram and God. Paul's understanding, of course, is about faith. And in, in the letter to the Galatians, Paul probably does his best work in explaining that we are saved by faith. And, and this is probably his greatest letter that lays this, the arguments for this out. But listen between the words to what Paul is saying. Listen between the words that we just heard Mike read. Paul says, all the Gentiles, that's, that's us, by the way. <laughs> all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you, says this to Abram. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. So all of a sudden, we are grafted into being heirs with Abraham, right? And, and Paul goes on and says, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. And then he goes on and says, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Now think about that. To put on a cloak or to put on a robe or to put on your clothes is how he perceived of us being in relationship with Christ. And finally, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to point out that this is Paul's, um, his culture. This is, this is where he is. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted Christians himself, and then he has this ecstatic experience of encountering Jesus. And he's knocked off his horse, and, and that whole story that happens in Acts. And so Paul's whole understanding of faith is grounded in this ancient Hebrew story, and lots of stories, and in this intimate, mystical relationship with Christ, right? So he's got everything, and, and so when we hear this, what we hear is that in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God, and, and you have clothed yourself with Christ, and there is no longer all of these things, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And for us as Christians, this is central. Now, we can uh, see this applying directly to us. But it might also appeal to others in creation. Paul is writing to Christians, for Christians, out of a Christian perspective. But we, now living in a postmodern world, might be able to see that there's a bigger picture here, a wider picture. We, we as Christians, know it applies to us. But it also may apply to creation itself and to all the people of creation. By whatever name they call God and by whatever path they come to God, granted, I understand it through this Christian path, and it is central to my faith, 
but I also know that I can't know all things. And so it may be especially true for us as Christians to see this as maybe something that is accessible to others, especially those who are different from us, who look differently, who live differently, who think differently, who love differently, and understand God differently. So what kind of world might we create if we followed this teaching of Paul's? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. But all, all are children of God and one in Christ Jesus. We could say that this transcendent Christ that transcends time and space envelops all, all people who have different words for God and different ways. And, and if they are people of some kind of faith or people of no faith who understand the great gifts of creation and of love, then I just have to believe there's a path for them in this story of this letter of Paul. Richard Rohr says that God calls us to a new way of living, a new way of relating to God, to others, and to the world. It is a way of cooperating rather than competing, a way of giving rather than getting, a way of faith rather than knowledge, a way of relationship rather than animosity, a way of love rather Oh, it's of relationship rather than anonymity, a way of love rather than animosity. In a recent essay that appeared in Faith and Leadership, Pastor Patrick Reyes concluded with an admonition to celebrate constellations rather than stars. He writes, as a society, we gaze at those who shine brightest, the glittering star, the influencer, the genius among us. Instead, we need to look for those leaders who come with their people, their community, their ancestors, their descendants. Leaders such as these are not looking to be the first or the only one in the room. They are not seeking their individual moments. They are trying to build a movement. God calls us to be constellations. When uh, I was growing up, my dad was a very, very early riser, always up before dawn, and would go out and ride his bicycle to the high school and run on the track or, you know, go to the workout room and lift weights, but he was always on his bicycle. And I remember him coming in one morning and talking about seeing the sky filled with meteors and thinking perhaps it was the end of the world. He had never seen this before. But the end of the world didn't come. And he later discovered and shared with us that it was the Persid meteor shower. A few years back in our own church, we decided to do a spirituality series. So we did a spirituality of pets and a spirituality of, of uh, art and a spirituality of all these different things. And and when we did it, we also did a practical thing. So we did a spirituality of pets and went to the SPCA to help them. And then we did a spirituality of art and we walked around North Park Mall looking at all the fine art that is at North Park Mall. It's a, it's a virtual art museum, really. 
And then we did the spirituality of gardening. And where else could we go but Angie and Amelia's backyard? <laughs> and so we did. The whole group of us went to Angie and Amelia's backyard. And there, in the early evening, we gathered to see their moonflower plant. Moonflower is a tropical white morning glory and is a species of, that is natable, native to tropical and subtropical regions. The name moonflower derives from their blooming in the evening and their being round and shaped like the full moon. And this plant was stunning. And it was beautiful. And our time together was mystical. We stood there under the stars, looking at plants and counting the stars. And I, I, I had this feeling that maybe we were hearing God speak to us through Abram and the Apostle Paul, look to the heavens and count the stars. You know, we don't do that much anymore. Growing up, my family was out in the backyard all the time, but we don't do that anymore. And so I want to appeal to all of you to step out into creation some evening. I mean, get your off spray, but step out in, into, the, into the evening and count the stars. And we will see and hear the Apostle Paul say to us, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. You see, from the very beginning, God wanted us to be constellations rather than just stars. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>